I'll give it to Zach. Okay. Zach. Come on, check. All right, you may be seated if you haven't done so already. We could pretty much go home after that prayer, actually. But. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to have a hard time this morning. I'm, I'm shaken by, uh, by Emma's song. It's part of that, and it's part of just a, a sweet presence that I just feel in this room this morning. So I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to hold it together. <clears throat> Probably won't. Um, so you noticed our uh, jungle gym, as our our brother called it out there. We have. We have, I've talked about it for a while, I've said that we're doing some remodeling things and we're going to uh, do some updates and, um, and, and I was excited. It's, it's, it's hard in the background because I see, like we're planning this stuff, we're talking about it, I'm excited about the, the end result, I'm excited to see things, you know, change and do some cool things and we've talked about it for a long time and I feel like I've been coming up here for a little while saying like, oh, we're about to start these things and they really already have been started. Um, but I, I mean, like that's like the first deal, and that is not—that's not permanent, by the way. That's a scaffolding for what we're doing. And it's not like a hidden thing, but I just don't want to get into exactly what it is. But there's some remodeling and some things that we're gonna do, and um, and it doesn't really matter if I tell you exactly what it is, anyways, because Jerry G's on it, and after it's re revealed, we'll all be shocked, including myself, who came up with it. So <clears throat> um, I'm really excited about that. But what's funny is. Uh, What's funny is that um, I, was, I was talking to my mom whenever uh, I first started, um, first started, I guess, doing this thing and, and just talking to her about some of the updates and remodeling ideas I had. And she kind of, she, I remember she just kind of gave me like, okay, this kind of like weird look about it. And later on, she, not necessarily the things I was going to do, but just that I was doing them. And she, uh, and she she told me later on, she just said, she said, the only reason I was thinking that is like, I really, until you said those things, I didn't even realize some updates that needed to be made, like certain things around the building or, you know, different things. Like, it's not just about the fact that I want to change some different looks and modernize. Like, it's not all about that. So there's literally some updates that need to be done to the facilities. These are amazing facilities, but we have to do some updates to them. And, uh, and it made me think about like, uh, just that conditioning. She said it's like when you've been in a place for so long and you've just, you've sat in the same place, you've seen the same thing for so long that you, you start to, you don't even realize things that need to be updated. Like probably some of you, I'm, I was, I was the same way. Like I did not see some of the things that needed to be updated until I was actually in this place where there was, I had, I had the responsibility to make those updates and, like, I started to walk around and see all these things and just, like, my eyes were open to it when before it was, like, I never would have seen them. But we just, we, we get so conditioned, so, uh, so, like, stuck in our ways and so stuck in the way things are that sometimes when things are awry or things, you know, need to be changed, you don't change them, not because you wouldn't want to if you saw them, you just don't even see them. You know, your heart isn't even open to see them. I think about... Uh, I think about uh, Frank, Eva, and I. Uh, we we uh, 
you know, everybody always says when you have your first child, it's very much, uh, you're, you're really careful. Everybody says first time parents. And then by the time you have your second, you'll chill out and you see people like John, Jonathan Saxon tells me, he's like, as long as they're, as long as they're alive at the end of the day, we're good. We're good. <laughs> he said, you stop worrying about all that stuff. But with Frank, we were so like, I mean, so particular and so careful about <clears throat> everything, like, you know, him getting dirty or him getting sick or him this, and we just, like, were hovering over him all the time, um, me more than Eva, but I, but I was, I was so, like, I thought I'd be one of those parents that was going to be, like, man, do whatever, because I was that kind of kid, like, I was jumping off stuff when I shouldn't, and I was just, like, whatever, I was okay, so I just figured I'd be that kind of parent where I'm, like, he's good, not, I'm the opposite, so, um, <clears throat> but, uh, but so what happened is when we had when we had Leo, we were not like that. It's exactly true. We were we were very much like we don't have the capacity to be able to be that way with both of them. And we started to realize, like Frank would get really upset if he got messy. Like it was like how we conditioned his mind to be like like he's kind of a wild child as it is. But there's this one little thing about him. Like he'll be in the back. And I've told you about how high-pitched he can scream as it is. He'll be in the back, and he'll have, like, a sippy cup, and thing pops up and spills on him. And you just about wrecked the car because he's just like, ah, you know, it's just, he's like, I'm messy, I'm messy. And we try to convince him it's okay. So now we're in the process of trying to recondition his mind to realize, like, it's okay to be a little bit messy, buddy. Like, it's just like try to throw a little mud on him and be like, don't be that kind of kid. Like, we don't want you to be that way. You got to gotta be, you can't be scared of being messy and uh and so, like, I, I just think, I've just been thinking a lot about this conditioning, like, just as, as this people and also the, just the church as a whole in, in the United States, just how we're conditioned to think about, and I talk a lot about this, but how we're conditioned to think things should go, you know? Another good kind of example of, of this, uh, I was thinking, because Ben and I talked when he was about to go out of the country. How many people have been out of overseas? out of the country, a lot of people, like, it's a really good thing to do, because you, 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 you don't truly realize what it is that you have sometimes until you do something like that, if you've ever experienced culture shock, I was a, uh, I was a, uh, I was a, you know, in, in high school, and I think it was between my junior and senior year, and a few of, uh, of the guys that were going to be seniors next year, we got to go to Brazil for a month. And I had been out of the country, I think, maybe one, possibly two other times whenever I was a lot younger. But um, we were going to be gone for a month. This was definitely the longest time I'd have ever gone. And, um, and I remember being in the bus right when we got to Brazil. And it's not like these, they don't speak my language at all. Like, even when they speak my language, it's very broken and hard to understand. And it's not even Spanish. Like, there's, it's Portuguese. Like, it's really difficult. And, it, and, it, and I remember getting there and not... And not like, just kind of like, how do I, I was just talking to my friends, we just stayed in our little thing, and, uh, and I, even driving in the bus down, because we were going to a soccer camp, I don't know if I said this, we went to Brazil for a month, we were going to get to stay in this like awesome soccer, soccer camp, professional soccer players, and then they had all of their train from like literally three years old and up, these like soccer clubs, and we, we were going to stay with them for a month and get to train with them, and it was really cool. We're excited about it, but we're driving in the street in the bus, and, like, we're going through these places, and I know there's poor here, and there's some poor that I haven't even seen with my own eyes that's in the United States, and it's rough and, and, and tough, but, like, this was, like, literally those, 
things, those, those ads they show on TV. And I mean, there's, I mean, we're talking poor, like shacks, completely like kids out there kicking like a cup around as their soccer ball, like, and just like muddy and dirty and, and, and things. You can just see how impoverished this part of the, the world was. And I had never seen anything like that, to be honest. And it was just, it really kind of got me as we drove in <clears throat> and, uh, and everything from that point, there was a two or three year old that his parents, he was from maybe South Korea or something like that. His parents dropped him off there and left him at two, I think two, because that was, they believed that was going to be his only opportunity to make it, to really be successful is if he, his only shot is if I can leave him here and be, and here's the thing is that they don't let the parents come visit. My mom got in trouble because she came and visited us that month at the very end to come pick me up. And she saw this boy and her heart just like, he immediately saw her and, and wanted to run to her because it's, it's a woman, you know, that is motherly and comes in and she couldn't help. They told her, do not interact with these boys, please don't do that. And of course, my mom, you know, she couldn't help it. And uh, this boy comes running up and just jumps in her arms and is crying and she's crying and holding him and walking around. They're like, no, 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 they have to pull, it, pull him away from her. And he is sobbing and he's messed up for a little while just because of that. But like that's, that's like that culture shock I'm talking about, seeing that with my own. I don't see that here. And so I, I'm conditioned by my surroundings and what, what I've allowed to become the norm. And everything that I see is filtered through that lens. It's how I see the world. <clears throat> Funny story with that to kind of break that up a little bit is we, they, had, they had like, it was basically when you ate food there, it was, um, it, it was almost like buffet style, and I mean, it was rice and beans, rice and beans, rice and beans, rice and beans, and it was all the time, and <clears throat> they had other things, but you had to eat the rice and beans because of like energy and whatever. It was like very specific of how for you to be able to make it through the month and do this kind of stuff, and they, that's what they ate, and they had this one time after all these rice and beans. I come in there one evening getting ready to load up the rice and beans, and they literally, they, they must have heard us complaining or crying or something, and they had, I'm not kidding, like southern cooking, and it was like fried chicken and like mashed potatoes and collards and all kinds of, and I was like, oh my gosh, we were just like loading it up, we were so excited, and we were, and we were, and I was just diving in, I love mashed potatoes, like nobody knows how to make mashed potatoes, I'm, you probably do, but like my Mimi, she, she knows how I like them, which I like there just to be a little bit of, like just a little bit of the potatoes still intact, like, like I like there just to be, a, I call them lumpy mashed potatoes, because I just like a little bit of, a little bit of bite there, and it's just, it's delicious, so I'm, that's pretty weird, but anyways, um, <clears throat> I, I love, I, so I was so excited, and I'm like, you know, eating it up, and then, uh, you know, what happened the next day? Rice and beans, rice and beans, rice and beans, and, uh, and towards the end of the trip, towards the end of the trip, we get, uh, we have another day where they have different food, like they had some pizza, they had some different things, it was getting closer, so they wanted to do some things, so I was like, I immediately looked for the mashed potatoes. Because I was like, come on, I know it's not the sun, but you got to have mashed potatoes. When my friends come by, I was like, did you see mashed potatoes? He was like, and he has like these looks like mashed. He's like, yeah, dude, they're over there. I was like, yes. So I go over, get my plate, see the mashed potatoes, load them up, go sit down. And these ones actually are a little bit lumpy. Like I like my mashed potatoes. And so I'm excited. I start to eat them. I'm like, I don't, it's don't really taste quite like mashed potatoes. And those 
lumps aren't quite, like, there's a difference between the texture of that and, like, the chew of these. So I was like, what is this? So I go up to the, I go up to the, uh, to the, to the server guy that's up there serving everything. I'm trying to talk to him, like, what is this? And he was like, uh, moo, cow, cow. I was like, oh, it's a cow. Okay. All right. And I came back, and I was like, like, what part? Like, and he goes, tongue, tongue. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I had just chowed down on this stuff. And, like, that might be okay for them, but for me, I'm conditioned to be like, I'm not eating cow tongue. That's not my thing. <laughs> but there's just, like, this conditioning, this, like, if you remember in the very beginning of this year, in January, I had just, uh, I, I think it was my first time, well, it probably was my first time speaking up here, but it was the first time in this, we all had come over here, and we had the new stage, and I got to speak. I was honored to be able to speak that, that time. I wasn't in this place. Like, I was, you know, we were still in transition, and, and, but things were changing, and it was, and things were new, and I used this analogy about, uh, about the wild animals in captivity. You remember, like, for those of you that weren't there, you know, there's these YouTube videos out there of, uh, of wild animals that have been in captivity, um, some of them their entire lives, and they usually don't let those ones out, but they, sometimes they do, depending on what the situation is, but literally, or usually these are ones that they were hurt, or f- for whatever reason, they were in captivity, and they show these videos of, of them releasing these animals, and when they first open the door to whatever, the cage, and to release them back into the wild, they're always very cautious in the beginning. And it's like they step in, they kind of step out, and they kind of look around, like, what is going on here? Like, I do not see any more cages. Um, what am I doing? And they kind of are cautious, very cautious to step away from, you know, that safety net. And I said at that time, I kind of felt like we were there. And, uh, and then I talked about that basically they'll get out and they run, they realize they're free and they, there's something inside of them that's wild and this is, this is what I was designed to be like. This is how it was supposed to be. And the, all of the animals usually have that same reaction and it's, and it's super excited and they run around and usually they even, there's times that they look back at like the trainer or whoever it was that released them and kind of like give them almost like a nod, like a thank you. They look back at that and then they go off and they're, free and they're excited and everything but then there's this other side of that of that story which is some of them die out there and some of them thrive out there there's not going to be an in-between because what's going to happen is as you get out there things get tough they realize they have to go out for their own food like they have to go for their own thing like they have to they have to find that life source for themselves and it starts to get to that, that place where that 3 p.m. steak, you know, that's just handed to them each time sounds really, really good. And some of them are going to flip a switch and say, look, I'm, I don't care. Like, I'm going for it no matter what. And when they do that, it's not like it's this tough thing all along. They really realize that this is how it was always supposed to be. This is true freedom. But then there's that other side that says, I, I can continues to complain, continues to say, like, I can't, I need that, like, I, I, this is too tough, and they will die. They don't make it. They try to turn back to something that's not there. And I just, and that was almost, I didn't really, I mean, I knew, I knew what I was talking about, but I didn't really realize, like, for us, why that analogy was used. And so, I, 
there's just this thing that I've, I've really just been, this conditioning thing that's really, it's got me. It's just, it, it's probably when this scaffolding went up and I, y'all asking me, what, what are you doing? I'm literally asking myself that when I hear all the things hammering and all that kind of stuff in there. I'm like, oh goodness, why did I do this? Um, but it's going to be good, and we got to keep moving forward. we got to keep pressing forward and, 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 and having that spirit to change. And so this was Friday, um, I believe. I was here by myself, and I was working. I had a ton to do, and no one was here. Usually we're off on Fridays, and I was, and I was, but I had a lot to do, and I was over there. Uh, my office is next door, and, and I'm... Uh, I'm working away, and from the time I got there, I just felt this pull to come over here and to be over here on the stage and spend some time over here and just pray, and I just kept feeling Holy Ghost pulling my heart to come over here, and, uh, and I was like, you know, I, I got so much, and, and this is not like one of those, like, anyways, this is, I, I just, I, I, I had a lot to do, and I wanted that. I wanted to be over here. I wanted to do that stuff, but I, there was things I literally had to get done. And I'm sitting there working through it, and I would get in my flow and went to lunch, and I'd come back, and I was, you know, in my flow, and I just would feel that tug again, like, you need to come over here. And I was like, okay, I have, I'm just going to shut it down. I have, I can't, I can't be where I'm at and, and say no to something like that. Like, I just can't. And so I just, I shut everything down. There's a lot that I needed to do, and I just, but I just shut it down, and I came in here, and I just, I laid up on this stage, and I, and I just prayed, I had some music going, I was, uh, I was just going to sit here and see what was going on, and I prayed in the spirit some, I was quiet a lot, and, uh, and just listened, and I just, the questions started coming out of me, you know, Yahweh, like, what are we doing, where are we going, what do you want, what do you have me here for, why am, why am I here? Like, what, what is, what's going on? And it was silence for a little while. And I just kept pressing into this thing and I, praying and, and I got this, uh, I got this vision in my spirit. And I, I could see, Yish, I knew it was Yeshua. I could see him from about here in his hands and there was a table. And there was this, there was food, like half-eaten food and, and cups that had been, the wine had been drinking out of. And it was just like, it was like this whole like, like spread, and it was like kind of like this ancient look to it. Um, it was this white linen cloth that had like stains on it and everything, and, and Yeshua had this, I see his hands grab onto this, this linen cloth, and I just see him do one of those, and everything, I could just see this linen cloth pop, and everything off, everything goes off of there, and I just see Yahweh, or Yeshua, putting it back, putting it in place, and very meticulously laying that thing back out, cleaning it off. It's white as it can be. It's beautiful. And Yeshua pulls himself up to the table. And he said, I'm inviting this people and you to my table. And it doesn't look like what it used to be. It's not the same meal that we ate last week. This is a new thing. And I've been, I've been crying out for this thing, this, this idea of where we're going and, and who we are and, and what do we do when we come in here. And I do believe in that restoration of, of, of our soul. And that is, that is why we're here. And that's why we gather. And that's, 
But there's something that, that is even deeper than that. And I, and I just, I've seen this thing that Yeshua is inviting us to his table. And there's a story that I want to, if you have your Bibles, uh, it's Luke chapter 7. That I think is going to help me kind of lay some, give some context to that. It helped me. It's where uh, Yeshua directed me in this thing. Um, and, and what that whole thing means. And, um, you know, this, this particular story is, is something that we've heard and read. I've heard and read many, many times. And, uh, and I, like I always do, I encourage you to take what you've heard and, and just kind of just, just set it aside for a second. Not because I'm going to give you some crazy revelation, but I want you to hear it for today and for us. <clears throat> so this story is, uh, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation, which might be a little different. Uh, Derek, I don't know if he can get it up there. Um, but uh, this is 736. And... Uh, What's happened here is this, uh, is, is Yeshua has, uh, he's just come into town and uh, there's, there was this funeral going on um, and, and Yeshua had, had come in and there was, uh, there was a, there's a miracle that's about to be performed that's really, I think, was the first resurrection maybe of, that Yeshua performed and, um, and it was this boy who was in a, in a coffin and, um, and his mother was crying, and Yeshua had really deep compassion for her. And he, and he, there's a lot here, but basically he laid his hands on, on this boy, rose him from the dead, and presented his, the dead boy alive to his mother. And, uh, and it was a big deal, and it was, you know, obviously, it was wild and crazy, and, um, and uh, there's so much to that story in itself. But uh, I, I want to talk about what happens after and um, so Yeshua is, is, is invited by religious leaders in this, in this town to, to uh, come to a dinner. Um, and uh, and I, love, I love what the, the Passion Translation, um, what, they, uh, what they title this, which is extravagant worship. My boy, a second ago, I was, I was one ear, you know, on what was going on here, and the other ear was blown out by him sitting here jumping around screaming uh, to Chris's song, and, um, and it's just like his extravagant worship, and it just, everything that I've seen this week, I've seen the word extravagant so much, and then so whenever I opened up the story, and it said extravagant worship, it obviously uh, it took root, and I believe that there's something here. So, um, so basically, Yeshua is coming in to, uh, to, this, to this dinner, and so it says, uh, this is 736, and did I say, I said Luke, right? I get you guys, Okay. Uh, Luke 7.36, and it says, Afterward, a Jewish, uh, Jewish religious leader named Simon asked Yeshua to, to his home for dinner. Yeshua accepted the invitation. When he went to Simon's home, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was, a, there was an immoral woman of the streets known to all to be a prostitute. When she heard about Yeshua being in Simon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader, and knelt at the feet of Yeshua in front of all the guests. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair, 
Over and over she kissed Yeshua's feet. Then she opened her, she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. When Simon saw what was happening, he thought, this man can't be a true prophet. If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. And when I, when I read things like this, I, I think, I try to, I think that a lot of us, especially me, when I read a story or I hear a story, I kind of rush through it in the sense of like, I don't think through all the details of what's happening around this thing. And I think about this woman, that there is, there is preparation here, that like, you know, she found out, it says that she heard that Yeshua was going to be in town, that, that, that she was going to be at this dinner. And I just think of her like talking to someone or, or, you know, coming in contact with that mother of the son or hearing about this man just raised a boy from the dead. Like people are calling him the Messiah. Like he's doing miracles and he's, and he's, and, and, and I really think that that story stuck with her about what had just happened of going from death to life. Like there was death in him. And now there's life. And I think that she's sitting there just, just thinking about all the things that are dead in her and the, the life that she's living and, 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 and something that she's not accepted in that area because of what she's done. And if there's any chance, if there's any possibility that she can be restored back to life, like this is probably that chance. And so I think that these things are swirling around her head. And then, and then I think about, you know, nothing really up until Simon starts getting all judgy like, nothing was really bad about what was going on, right? Like, Simon, like, he, he prepared a place for Yeshua. He heard he was coming. He wanted him to come. He invited him to this dinner, which was probably pretty elaborate. There was probably, you know, the best wine, the best food, the best bands. You know, he set this table. He invited guests. It was a really big deal. And it was all about Yeshua. And I see the church in this. Like, we... It, he, they, he prepared a table for Yeshua, and Yeshua said yes. Yeshua wanted to come. Yeshua went along with it. Yeshua was there, right? Like, he, he came. Nothing at this point in time that I can see with my natural mind tells me that this is wrong. And I still wouldn't say that it's wrong. But... What happens then is, 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 is Simon comes up and he says, when he saw what was happening, he thought this man can't be a true prophet. If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. You see, because what, what happens a lot, and I think we are all guilty of this, is we have been conditioned to believe what worship looks like. We've been conditioned to believe what church looks like and be used to what things to expect when we come in here and and and, and just in, in living and just how we approach Yeshua and just how we approach this whole thing we've been conditioned to see it one way and a lot of times what happens when someone is extravagant in their worship and a little bit out there in their worship and is a little bit crazy and like literally like I will do anything like I want you Yeshua like I have things I this is my last resource like this is my lifeline and they come in here and they give everything that we start to kind of like 
it challenges you. It challenges something in you, and you have this opportunity to either act out and say something like, well, they, you know what? I saw their Facebook. I saw their Instagram. I saw how they talked to this person. I saw what they did this time. I saw this, and they don't really have the right to do that. So really, I can just go ahead and justify myself doing what I've always done, sitting here, being how I am, and that's cool because they're disqualified. Disqualified, I'm good. We do that. It maybe not to this extent, but we do that a lot. We give, we justify things in our own life that if someone's doing something a little different and makes us uncomfortable, that's what we do. We try to justify those things. So this is what's cool about this. Is that at this point in time, after Simon is trying to justify things, what I see happening is that this is where that table flips from Simon's table that Yeshua was invited to, to being Yeshua's table. Because what he says here is he says, Yeshua said, so get, ooh, man, come on. Whew. For live stream people that didn't hear that, that was a nice lightning bolt. I want to make sure we get the, get the feel out there too. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but so as Simon's trying to justify this thing, I think that this, this, the tables turn here. And Yeshua says, like, like, get, like what I was saying is get this picture in your head. Like, so we're at this party that was for Yeshua, that he's sit, they're sitting there, they're enjoying themselves, they're having this conversation. You know, the religious leaders are probably feeling pretty good about themselves. Like, yeah, you know, look, people, we had the guy that raised the kid from the dead here. We're the religious leaders, you know, trust us, see how holy we are, this is great, awesome, we did this for Yeshua. Yeshua's probably feeling pretty good, like, we're bros now, like, this is awesome. Like, things are good, and then this woman comes in and busts up this party, this prostitute, this person that no one wants to be around and no one accepts by the law standards, and busts up in there and starts to... to cry all over Yeshua's feet, and the, the religious leader is a little uncomfortable, probably feels like he needs to stand up, well, you don't do that to Yeshua, like, that's not, there's a protocol here, like, hold up, and, uh, and, and so, so then Yeshua says, so as Yeshua's sitting there, this woman's at his feet, and he stops, and he says, another lightning bolt, he says, Simon, I have a word for you, and so now, he becomes teacher. Go ahead, teacher. I want to hear. I want to hear it, he answered. He says, it's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000 and the other only owed $10,000. When it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind baker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave all that they owed. Tell me, Simon. Which of these two debtors would be the most thankful? Which one would love the banker most? And Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. And Yeshua says, you're right. Then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. And so here's Yeshua's perspective on what's going on in that situation. He says, don't you see this woman kneeling here? She is doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as your guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. 
Yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and then dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with the customary kiss of a greeting, but from the moment I came in, she has never stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she has anointed my head and my feet with the finest perfume. She has been forgiven of all her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven, to be forgiven, love me very little. Then Yeshua said to the woman at his feet, all of your sins are forgiven. All the dinner guests said among themselves, who is this man who uh, can forgive sins? Then Yeshua said to the woman, Remember what, remember what we, we said in the very beginning of the story. Like, that whole thing with the boy had just happened. She saw someone go from death to life. We're thinking, like, I want to be clean of the fact that I used to be a prostitute. Really, she's not even focused on those things. She wants life again. She wants to feel it again. She does not want to have, like, you know, people. She doesn't really care about what people think, obviously. She just busted into probably one of the biggest parties going on, biggest dinners, probably nice, everything. She had planned when she heard that Yeshua was going to be there, she prepared. She got the perfume. She got the oil. She got the, the nice alabaster box or container. And she came in and said, like, like, I know he's there. That's where I'm going to be. I know he's there, and I'm going. I'm not going to, to say, like, that this isn't what I've done. Like, everybody knows I'm exposed. I'm not accepted here, and I really don't care. I care about one thing, and that is going from death to life. Because I've seen it done. I've heard about it. Let's see if it can happen for me. And so... Then Yeshua said to the woman, your faith in me has given you life. Now you may leave and walk in the ways of peace. And there's so much in this story that we could talk about forever. But I said something very ignorant to a lot of people recently as going into this, trying to figure things out. And it was about worship, and luckily I never said it publicly because, I mean, it's not that big of a deal, but I think it's ignorant. And I would say, I was, I was talking about, like, the first time you ever, first time you ever have sushi, basically, like, they, they tell you to put ginger in your, in your mouth and, um, and try to kind of, because it's sushi something like you've never tried before. You want to make sure you cleanse your palate with that ginger. And I just, I, I compared worship, like literally like worship, like to the ginger. Because what that does is it prepares the people. They can kind of wash that thing off. And then so whoever's speaking it, just it prepares them for that. That was stupid. You want to know why it's stupid? Because the death <laughs> Worship is not to get us to the destination. Worship is the destination. I believe that there's reformation coming to the church again, and this thing's going to be flipped on its head. And instead of us coming here to hear a spoken word, we're going to come in here and break open our alabaster box and be kneeling at his feet, worshiping him, because he's inviting us to his table. Yeshua is making himself known, and he's giving us an invitation. And as we've said, he is the door. 
So we might be in this same thing for 10 years. We might be doing the same thing for the next five. We might be in here for six months before something else is shown because the destination is the worship. And I'm worshiping right now by being who I am. You don't have to have music. But what I'm saying is that this is an amazing place that whenever people come in, like whenever we're talking to people, I don't want you to go and say like, hey, this is, you know, Yeshua, like there's this, let me teach you about this. And if you come to our church, like hopefully you can experience him. Like I want to come to the place that we're so enthralled with worship that you go up to people and say, listen, I've seen sick healed. People that once had cancer, don't have it anymore, are being healed, that I've seen a place where someone who literally, you should have seen the way they walked, but this people welcomed them in, and they didn't come in and say, listen, all is welcome. You know that? That's, this, that's the phrase you hear to, for the churches that really want to grow, like all, all are welcome. And my phrase is all are welcome, but don't come with the expectation to stay the same. Like, we want, we want the woman that comes in that no one else will have, but we want her to come at her broken state and say, like, I've heard of death to life coming out of this place. I've heard of hopeless people that were literally going to kill themselves, walk into this room, and not encounter, not encounter cool lights and music and great stuff, but literally encounter Yeshua. Like, they're, they're, they've set, that, like, there's a table, his table is literally in that place. And I don't know, I mean, you can come through Tuesday through Thursday, you can come anytime, and it's going to be there. That presence, that, that man is here. And I want you, if you have something, if you're broken, if you're losing, if you're losing at life, if you do not have hope, hope in your heart, you can come to this place. And you can meet a people that aren't rule followers that don't live by the law and do things the way they could. Because you know what? Not that we have to justify it, because Yahweh, Yeshua is, is, is teaching us something new here, but Apostle F. Nolan Ball was the same way. He was that man. I said this to Chris uh, last week. I said, you know, we're kind of, in, in a sense, we're kind of like the rebels of this thing right now. And he said, we always have been nothing's new like this is true like this is the spirit that we carry this is this is that foundation that we're feeling is that we are going into uncharted waters and we are not going to expect things to look the same way they always have and if I have to say it a million times I'll say it a million times if I have to keep talking about the same things I'll keep talking about the same things because my ultimate goal is that we can come in here without expectations and we'll figure out a way that we can release the kids and we'll figure out a way to get announcements to you and do that kind of stuff because this is a family. I want there to be fun, exciting things. And there will be messages spoken. And, 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 I, and, I, and I know that that revelation will flow and it will be great. But really, like, I want to come in here in this place. And the only focus is him, is the king, is breaking open that box and just saying, Yeshua, this is about you. Like we are accepting the invitation to your table and when you show us the next step, when you want to send us out because it's about coming here, it's about coming and then it's about going. But you don't go unless you're sent. Musicians, could you come up here? Is this, is this, does this like provoke or do you feel this at all? You, you good? I mean, liven up, man. This is awesome.
Y'all stand with me, please. I want to do Emma's song again. There's this, uh, there's something that, that happened um, that he, he didn't even know about. Um, I was talking to Bill the other day uh, after service, and we were talking about this mic, and hopefully it doesn't go out right now and mess up my entire thing here, because there's a lot of reasons of why this mic keeps cutting out. First off, can we give the uh, Bill a hand? He is such a help. And Morris and all those guys. I know Derek's back there helping with the ProPresenter stuff or the screen. And, and so I'm very thankful and blessed to have those guys working with us and, and making us sound good. Um, but uh, but he, we were sitting here talking, and, we, and, and, and he, when uh, Chris was speaking on Wednesday night, uh, his, they had Jordan and, and, and Bill had figured out that the microphone one of the microphones up here, the wireless microphones, was on the very close frequency to this, to this one. And so anytime that one was turned on, a lot of times this went out. Um, and, uh, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And so they were changing the frequency of the other mic so that this wouldn't cut out as much, at least, you know, as much. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> but then I said, so, you know, I... But when y'all grabbed the microphone, I was watching you, and y'all had y'all were doing that, and Chris was cutting out really bad, and he said it's a proximity issue. And first off, that word is going to trigger something in me. I just, anyways. But he said it's a proximity issue, and he said when I when I uh, when we took that microphone, though they were on the same frequency, they kind of keep cutting each other out. But when I took that one microphone and I brought it up there, and we had to turn it on to try to get the the situation fixed, as soon as we turn it on, it completely overrode your mic. But when we changed that frequency, when we changed the frequency to this, uh, to the microphone, yours should now share that, that should be its own frequency. So we shouldn't have as many issues with that and it should be good. And I, uh, maybe this is like an obvious, you know, you already know what I'm saying here and you can draw your own conclusion, but to me, it spoke to me about what do we allow on the same frequency to our source. So many things, so many things that we have conditioned our mind to say that is okay and that this is the way things go. And I can name things in my own life that I share a frequency with that when Yeshua calls, it kind of fades out sometimes. It kind of drops out sometimes because I got something else. And I just feel Yeshua, the reason he wanted me to come over is to just remind me in a very dramatic way that I've cleared this table for you, for you and for this people. Like I've set my table. You haven't, you don't need to go set a table. You don't even need to prepare a place. I'm with you. I am setting a table for you and I'm inviting you to come. And I don't know what this means to you, and, I, and maybe we'll unpack this more as we go throughout the weeks, and maybe there'll be some more revelation on this, or maybe it's just what you need to hear, you just need to let this sit. But I desire this people, if we're going to need to lay the framework of who we are, I want people in this county to know us as worshipers, extravagant worshipers. Ones that do not, it doesn't really matter where we are, what we have to do. Like literally, like we, we are, the worship word there means 
either to, to prostrate yourself, which is lay your face down on the ground flat out, which I just about was there today because this song la- left me breathless and, and I was just, and I was moved and I was shaken. It, it also means to bow down. Like when you talk about worshiping things, like what are you bowing down to? And I just see this this morning. I don't want to, I don't want to, call or make anybody feel uncomfortable, but he does. And I believe that this morning, what I am seeing is if this is resonating within you, if this is something like you, you know you've been sharing a frequency with something, you know, Yeshua wants the real. Like he wants, he's inviting us to his table. Like I want, I want us to come. I want, I want us to come down, down front and I want you to prostrate yourself or bow down before Yeshua. Like, I want us to kneel down before the throne, and I will be down here in a second. Come if you're feeling this right now. And it should be all of us, I'll tell you that right now. Because there is something new, and and, and F. Nolan Ball built this new stage for this very purpose, that we, that it is at knee level for us to be here this is what it was designed for. And I believe that he saw it before we even saw it coming, that Yeshua is inviting us to this table. Yeshua, this is just a, this isn't, this isn't, this is a prophetic gesture that we accept the invitation that we want extravagant worship, that we don't wanna do things the way that we've always done them, that we don't, we don't care about what people think, we don't care about what party we thought we were coming to or what dinner guests are there or who people accept us to be or think we are, but we literally are coming into this place on Sundays and Wednesdays or when we're at our own house and we are literally, we are, this is our hearts right here that we accept this invitation and we thank you for clearing the table. We thank you that we can let go of the condition that we used to be in, that we, the conditioning of our mind, that we can move past what we've always been, what we've always seen, what we've always done. And we can unabandonedly, untethered, worship you.